Liberty Lockdown, please scan your barcode Your liberty ain't gone, but yeah, it's on hold Where did it come from and where did it go? It requires a fight, not tweeting from your phone Don't need a king, get him off the fucking throne If you ride with the thought, you've always got a home The virus you're scared of will come and it'll go The government knows this, don't get treated like a hoe Let's get into the show So here's the deal. The non-aggression principle is a great idea. But you know what it requires? It requires you to defend yourself. And it seems to me that many libertarians out there are unwilling to do so. And if you're unwilling to do so, then your non-aggression principle is a one-way contract. And a one-way contract is worthless. Because ultimately, they will do whatever they feel like unless you're willing to fight and die for your freedom. That's the truth. And the non-aggression principle is a great idea in the sense that it, it guides us on how we should treat others, on how we should expect to be treated as well. But ultimately, aggression requires aggression in response. It does. I mean, it's called defense, but it's still violence at the end of the day. And I think that many libertarians are afraid to be honest about what the non-aggression principle actually requires because they don't want to be violent. I don't want to be violent either, for the record. But at the same time, I think we can all agree we don't want to be slaves more than we want to be peaceful. At least I hope. Because if you value peace over freedom, you will get neither. That's the truth. It seems so clear to me that this only ends when you decide that it does. When you decide that the bar has been pushed too far and you cannot abide any longer. In, in unison, in mass, civil disobedience only works if you do it with an overwhelming amount of people. You, you at least have to outnumber the police. At this point, we can't even outnumber those that want us locked in our houses. Those that watch the latest Gavin Newsom update on Twitter and message at him while he's talking, saying, this isn't enough. You have to lock us in our homes. I literally read today. You have to lock us in our homes and airdrop us food until everyone gets the vaccine. This is what we're dealing with. Horrified sheep. And they outnumber us, at least when it comes to protest. And if they're going to outnumber us at protests, we stand no chance at all. It isn't enough to tweet. It isn't enough to text your friends, your family, to talk to your friends in, in real life about how sick of this you are, how upset you are, how much you wish someone would do something. You have to do it. It's on us. I, I get it. It's easy to sit around and, and lament all of this insane tyranny that we're experiencing and it feels hopeless. But as long as we are at home, this doesn't end. As long as we, you know, say that we want to end the lockdowns, but we still live a quasi-lockdown lifestyle, it doesn't end. If you go to a restaurant and they are, you know, have signs up, I've seen this many times. There's obviously, there's tons of restaurants that are closed, but then those that are, are open will have signs up saying, this is a protest. And that's, that's the grounds by which they are trying to maintain their business. 
we have to take the same steps. I mean, certainly it's helpful to patron those uh, companies, and I would highly recommend you do so. God bless them for having the courage to do it. But it's not enough to just do that either. I mean, these people protested all summer over police brutality, a righteous cause, I might add. We've been locked in our fucking homes, our businesses closed, forced to wear masks, even though the science says that it's largely just fear porn and, and you know security theater. It's not enough to just go along and then sit at home. I mean, y- you just got to get out and do something about this or it doesn't get better. And the reason I'm, I'm talking with such urgency and I'm pushing you guys to, to be more active is because I believe deeply that this doesn't end without violence unless it ends with mass protest. So our last hope is mass protest. Peaceful civil disobedience in mass is our only hope. We have to outnumber them in a way that is so overwhelming they cannot do anything about it. Force them to call in the National Guard. Force them to call in the military if they want to stop us. But I don't think they will because they know where that goes. So if we are, if we are unwilling to use mass civil disobedience meaningfully, we're toast. I saw this business owner that Kurt tweeted out today. He parks his truck directly behind the health inspector of his local town. Brilliant civil, civil disobedience. Is it illegal? Yes, it is. What he did was illegal. The cops get over there. They tell him, sir, we'd like to talk, but could you please move your truck? You're blocking traffic. He says no. He breaks the law. He's prepared to pay the price. Is the price jail? Yeah, probably. But you know what the price of not doing it is? Communism. Giving up on freedom as a whole. That's where we're headed. You know it, I know it. It's not a fear-mongering tactic I'm using. It's just a historical analysis. You don't fight tyranny. It gets worse. The longer you wait, the harder it is. So if it's too hard to fight now... Imagine how bad it's going to have to be for you to be willing to fight and how insurmountable those odds will be. It doesn't get easier. This is the best opportunity you have left. I mean that. For all our sakes, we have to fight now so we don't fight later. Truly. It's really the inevitable outcome of all of this. They've taken powers, unconstitutional though they may be, it's irrelevant. You know it too. It do, the, the paper is not protecting us. The courts are not protecting us. It's on us. So if you're going to be on, on my timeline talking about civil disobedience, I hope, I really do hope that you mean it, that you're going out. You're not wearing a mask. I know it makes you look like an asshole. Who cares? The people that are trapping you in your home are the real assholes. A study came out yesterday from the University of Florida declaring loudly that there is no pre-symptomatic, asymptomatic spread. It's not a thing. So the whole mask, fear-mongering, and security theater is definitively ascientifical and nonsense. You don't have to wear one to protect anybody because you aren't a danger to them. If you're sick, sure, stay home or wear a mask if you want. But if you're healthy, by all means... 
Live your life normally. Inform people they have nothing to fear. They won't believe you. That's fine. Put that truth in their mind so that they can hopefully go and research it on their own. Tell them about the study. Tell them that the, the information that they're operating off of are filled with mistruths and outright lies. It's our only hope. I mean, if you're not willing to do it, no one will. So go out there, live freely, fight for those that can't fight right now. Fight for the elderly, for God's sakes. If you're going to talk about saving grandmas and grandpas, it is absolutely horrendous what we're doing to them. Keeping them in, in assisted living facilities, isolated for 10 months. Can you imagine the last years of your life and you spend them alone? Maybe getting a, a, a video chat here or there, a Zoom conference call from your grandkids. It's a fucking atrocity. It's horrific. We have to end it. For their sake, as much as ours. God, it makes me sad. On a brighter note, the commies are back out again, talking about how landlords are evil, and how it's not a real job. And if you want to feed your family, you got to go out and work just like the rest of us, blah, 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 blah. Well, for the commies that are listening, I'm sure there aren't any, uh, when, you, when you work, and you save, and you invest into a property that you don't live in, and you contract with some other person to reside in that property for some determined period of time, for some determined amount of money, and you both mutually agree that it's beneficial to both parties, there is nothing immoral about it. There is nothing wrong with doing so. The, the key factor in all of this is, is that the landlord, that evil landlord, that evil wealthy capitalist, has delayed gratification. Oftentimes they're older, Oftentimes they've already worked a full career. Oftentimes they've purchased maybe one, maybe two rental properties to try and supplement their income in their retirement when they are incapable of working as hard as a young and healthy person can. There is nothing wrong with that. That is actually autonomy. That's actually success. That's actual self-sustaining behavior where you don't rely on the government or your community to care for you. We should applaud those people. They have taken themselves off of the welfare line even when they cannot produce any further. These people are heroes. And I don't say that hyperbolically. Gen genuinely, they are heroes for having done so. Think about it. They have delayed consumption. They have saved, invested, and then purchased this property, which they are responsible not only for the property taxes, which is the actual demon in the room, but they've also hired contractors to keep the property in good condition. They've hired cleaners, things of that nature. They've hired contractors for painting, roofing. All of this is cost. All of this takes time, experience, expense, money. Um, it's, a, it's an important necessity for society to maintain private property. They are doing that, and they're doing so without any guaranteed return on that investment particularly in this environment where the government has made evictions and foreclosures illegal. You can't even do it. So on top of that, they also are taking on the downside risk of a diminishing real estate market, which I know many of my listeners are young, but you should be old enough to remember or know, or some of you probably know firsthand how devastating the real estate collapse was, where prices in many markets were cut in half in a year. So those people deserve whatever return they get as long as it's agreed to for mutual benefit and not with coercion. 
unlike property tax, which is actually co- coercion. Fuck the commies. I'm sick of it. You guys are so stupid. It's it's painful, but I felt like I would defend the landlord since no one else seems to be willing. Or, I mean, few online are. I mean, this person talked about his grandkid who was a uh, a landlord for his career. I think I think what he meant was he's a property manager. And so his job is to collect rents and maintain properties. That's a real service, <laughs> regardless of the communist viewpoint that he's an evil capitalist. He's providing a real service there. And and he was ratioed mercilessly. People screaming, get a real job. You fucking leech. You know, it's like, folks, do you want somewhere to live? <laughs> Are you upset with the guy who built the house too? He tried to profit off of it. The guy that built the house profited because someone was able to purchase the home. So if you support the contractor, you should support the the landlord who bought the property from the builder. The builder only profited because there was an end market. That end market was supported by the fact that there are people that saw value in the property and decided that they could make some sort of cash flow off of it to justify the debt carry of it. So instead of owning the latest car or the latest gizmo, they delayed all of that gratification. They stored it up and then they purchased this property to reside over your ungrateful ass as you rented it from them thinking that they're leeches even though they're fixing the property up when you have issues even though they didn't live high on the hog for probably decades to be able to afford it even though they took on debt even though they took on the downside risk of a market even though they took on all of the negative ramifications even though they took on the the negative connotations and the implications that you have about them and their lifestyles they did all of that just in hopes of being self-sustaining when they get too old to do it for themselves. And you want them, what, put up against the wall? I think not. The wall is for you, sir. And speaking of commies, we got Donald Trump, who decided to cave like a bitch to Mitch McConnell. Yeah, great speech, Trump. Good job telling us how awful the latest COVID stimulus bill was. How we shouldn't be sending trillions overseas during a pandemic when we can't even keep our businesses afloat. Really good points you made. 72 hours before you signed that very bill, you fucking loser. God, he makes me sick. All lip service, no action. That is your legacy. You talked a good game and you brought us financial ruin in ways I can't even imagine. What's coming from these bills is just pure pork. Muslims should be pissed. There's nothing but pork in these. Good God. They're going to they're gonna give us 600 bucks a, a person. And then Trump goes, Oh, but I told them that they should make it 2,000. Oh, that, I'm, sure, I'm sure that'll happen. Even if it, even if it does, folks. Even if it's 20,000. The future that they mortgaged from you isn't even close to that value. I don't know I don't know if you're aware of all of the government largesse and theft that's occurred this year, namely through the printing press, but every single one of your dollars is going to be worth more than that toilet paper you stood in line for. It's so sad. I don't even know if people understand it, and that's what scares me most. I don't know if people understand that this short-term band-aid on a bullet wound ultimately allowing the patient to die and the patient is you 
we are going to drown in this debt. I think we're going to be pushing $4 trillion in debt alone this year on top of the 28 or whatever we already had. I mean, we're going to be north of 30 by the time 21 hits and probably north of 40 by the time 22 hits. These are, these are unbelievable sums. These are sums we will never dig our way out from under. And it seems to me that the government knows it. The people that actually run this shit really understand that this is the end game. And if you look at Bitcoin, I think that the writing is on the wall. The U.S. fiat currency system is not long for this earth. And neither is Trump's presidency. And good riddance, you fucking scumbag. I can't believe that he would have the goal to get up there, give a, a great press conference about how evil and immoral and short-sighted this stimulus bill was, and then he gets no revisions at all and signs it. I hope they stole the election from you. I hope that you go away and you never talk to us again after this. What an absolute failure. All you had to do was force their hand, veto the bill, make them override you if they see fit, and then say to the American people, hold nightly press conferences until your presidency ends, God willing. And you just tell us repeatedly, this is where this money's going. Gender studies in Pakistan, are you stoked? Well, you can't feed your kids while you sit in fucking food lines? Are you stoked about all the, all the money that we're sending to foreign countries when we can't even afford our own bills? Are you stoked? You guys pumped? Four more years, am I right? Make America great again, am I right? America first, am I right? What a loser. What a fraud. What a con man. What a scumbag. Get the fuck out. All right. That's the end of my rant. Love you guys. Thank you for, uh, you know, hanging in, hanging in there with me as I got that off my chest. Very pumped today to have Josh Smith on. Joshua Smith is going to be running for the chair of the Libertarian Party. He is one of the good ones, as I like to say, and I can't wait to hear what he has to say. So stay tuned and we will get right into it. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Liberty Lockdown. Very special guest with me today. We have Joshua at large, a.k.a. Joshua Smith, the... Uh, running for LNC chair. First off, I, I'm not super involved with the LP, so let me just ask, because I'm, I'm sure some people have had this question. What the hell does at-large mean? Uh, so so the way the board is broken down, the national board, there's the officers, there's the chair, vice chair, secretary, and treasurer, and then uh, there's regional reps, right? So each there's you know eight regions, and each region has its own rep, and it could be any various number of states in each region. And then there's five at-large members, and those at-large members actually represent the body of the entire Libertarian Party as a whole on the board. So um, those five people can help you with anything you need for any any of the regions, uh, any of the states. You know, uh, they can kind of come to us and and you know give us their uh, their ideas or ask for help from the board so we represent the entire membership body very cool well i i'm thrilled that we have people like you involved in it um i hope that the uh, the abuse you've taken over the past couple of years hasn't dissuaded you in your your passion for it are you still as fired up as you've ever been Oh yeah, man. Really? That stuff drives me. You know, these, these people that are constantly trying to berate me and beat me down. Um, you know, there's been some days where, where I wanted to give up, but, uh, at, at the end of the day, I realized that it's just going to, it's going it, to, it burns the fire brighter for me. You know, it makes me want to want to keep going and make the party, uh, in, in a better image. So that's um, what we it, need, man. 
absolutely, absolutely, absolutely. Uh, are you are you friendly with Sarwak? N- no, no, not really. No, we. Uh, that, that's the know. correct answer, by the way. Yeah, it's 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 funny because when uh, when you know when Nick was the chair, I I ran against him in 2018, and and uh, we were back and forth constantly but then we'd get in the same room and he's as each other and be completely passive aggressive it was kind of funny i mean he'd be really passive aggressive with me and there was a couple times you know i had a drink here and there with nick and we talked like candidly and you know he'd he'd seem like he was an all right guy and then five minutes later he'd be on twitter you know (laughs) dissing me or or michael or or tom or dave or somebody and it's like dude just shut up (laughs) (laughs) that's the that's the hallmark of the entire loser brigade there they're very tough on Twitter, but in person, they're they're friendly. <laughs> yeah, well, it's it's funny. I you know my first my first run um, in 2018, I'd show up to these state conventions, and I don't think anybody realizes how big I am, you know. But these guys, these guys, these little nerds that would talk all this crap about me, uh, you know, online, and then I'd show up to their state convention, they're looking up at me, going, "Hey, man, sorry about that." You know, <laughs> they'd be like, "This this this at large moniker has a double meaning." Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> Oh. <laughs> yeah, well, I, I'm I'm no fan of Sarwak, but but more than just for his demeanor, more than just for his his attitude, um, I really think that he did the the LP a disservice. I think that we had the the opportunity of a lifetime, uh, at least at least my lifetime, and I can't believe how badly we blew it. And that's no no diss on Jorgensen, who I I like honestly, but um, the the campaign was was driven by people who who basically took it off the rails in my opinion and and to have the opportunity with the 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 lockdowns the unbelievable corruption the financial malfeasance um it, it's just like you couldn't you couldn't have had a better goldilocks moment for the libertarian party oh not to mention you know protests for police brutality and and you know the war on drugs and things of that nature it was like it was a perfect storm how did, how did we blow it that badly well i think you know I like Joe too. You know, I think Joe was a step in the right direction coming off of uh, 2016 when we to- had, totally agree. Uh, yeah, yeah, Gary Johnson and Bill Weld. Um, I, what, what happened was uh, her campaign manager and and the campaign team slowly got rid of the the radical, unapologetic libertarians from the team. And and um, you know, we saw it. We all saw it happening, and we're going, "What are you guys doing?" You know, and I don't think Joe. I, I really don't think Joe had a lot to do with that. Yeah, um, and and it just really broke down the messaging. It it. it you know, didn't take advantage of constant opportunities that we had as a party and as a, as a, you know, what I like to call the presidential race for this party is just a 50 state uh, media tour. I mean, that's basically what we are. We know we're not going to win the presidential election. Um, you know, our, our, our party resources are, are better well spent trying to get state leg uh, um, candidates elected because that's where we're going to make a difference and where we can win or some of these, a lot of these local and county races as well. But um, they just had a breakdown of they just got rid of all the radical libertarians that that could have helped, um, you know, craft messaging around that stuff. And it, it was really a, I mean, we dropped the ball. There's just no doubt about it. It was it the, the campaign dropped the ball. I mean, Spike Spike did great, you know, in a lot of a lot of areas. Spike Spike did not give up an inch. I mean, yeah. you know, you, you can disagree with him on some of the things that he liked. But I mean, he was radical. He stayed radical. He brought a radical message. He talked crap about wars. He talked crap about the fed. I mean, he did, he did a lot of the right things, you know? Um, but it was, it was hard. I'm sure it was hard for him having this radical campaign attached to this not very radical campaign. And so, um, you <laughs> his, know, it, his media work was tremendous too. Those, those oh, ads yeah. that they were putting out were killer. 
Oh yeah, Daniel Smolt, who who does all those videos, man. He's he's a a, a gem, Peach. I love that guy, and uh, he did a lot of really good videos. And and um, I hope that guy sticks around for a long time, man, because he he was great. Um, yeah, definitely. But yeah, gets, gets eyeballs. Yeah, we could have done a lot more, you know. And and it it was like we had these opportunities handed to us on a silver platter. I mean, you know, with the shutdowns, we we let the Republican be the anti. We let the Republicans become the anti shutdown party, which is just horrendous. I mean, they're not the anti shutdown party. Uh, you know, there's a few, there's a few congressmen and one Senator who are super anti-lockdown. Um, but really they're, they're, you know, they're, maybe their, their party members are, are anti-lockdown, but they certainly aren't anti-lockdown and, and a couple of governors here and there, but we should have been the party of anti-lockdown and we let them get out ahead of us on that. Um, you know, it's just kind of like, that's, that's been the story for, for 50 years, you know, is, is we let these other two parties get out ahead of us on things that we should have been ahead of them on. Yep. And, uh, you know, it's, it, we just dropped the ball. And so, you know, that's one of the reasons why, you know, I, I will now be a perennial candidate for chair, I guess, if you want to call it that, it'll be my third run. Um, I only lost about, about a hundred votes, uh, in July of this, this year. Wow. Uh, and, and I still kind of wonder about the, the voting tabulation there. And <laughs> it seems like there was some, you know, all these votes that took place prior to the chair vote, there was about 630 votes between the online portion and the in-person vote per, uh, portion. And then all of a sudden during the chair race, there was 900 some votes. Uh, oh, wow. You know, we can, we can get into it. There's some people on the LNC that think that it was not above board. Um, I don't know. I haven't looked into it as much as some of the other people have, but. Well, it, seeing as they played such dirty, dirty pool with you, um, I mean, is that is that really a possibility? I mean, here's my question: the the LP doesn't seem to have much power to want to be dirty to get. You know, like I understand playing dirty to steal the presidency. You have a multi-trillion-dollar machine that you get to reside over. Um, but with the LP, like, are these people just, you know, I, I don't even know what what's the motive there to be sure. to be that well, dirty. I've been talking about this since 2018, you know, when it, so a prime example is when I ran for chair in 2018, no one knew who I was. You know, I was this publication guide helped found think Liberty, which is a great publication. There's some great people that I work with there. Um, and, and outside of that, I was a regional rep for the Washington state party. I mean, nobody in the party really knew who I was. And I was able to put out an intent to run statement, travel to 26 States, uh, you know, raise a bunch of money and and really kind of give a run to to Sarwark in 2018. I know I lost by you know quite a bit, but um, no one. I didn't expect to do that well. What the the problem is is the Libertarian Party is a small pond, right? Mm-hmm. And so so these people have these big voices in, inside the party. You know, people like Sarwark and some of the Loser Brigade and and some of the Socialist Caucus guys, and it's like they have huge voices in a small pond, and and so that's the problem. They, when, when, you know, when they see people like Dave Smith or, or me or, or Tom Woods saying, Hey, we're going to, we're going to come in and take the party. They get scared because they know we can't, we can make the party bigger. I've proven Tom has proven Dave has proven that we can grow this party like nobody has in 50 years. And so their, their voices are going to get smaller. You know, they're going to become smaller fish in that big pond. And they're terrified of losing that power of losing that, that pedestal and that, um, you know, that soapbox where they get to, you know, talk down to people and sure. gatekeep. And so that's, that's, to me, that's the only motive. I mean, there is no other motive. If you're a libertarian in the libertarian party and you're afraid of it growing, 
Um, that, that's got to be for personal issues. You know, if you're not a libertarian, like some people might say, you know, Nicholas Sarwark is, uh, you know, from an alphabet agency and maybe he's trying to hold the party down and this and that and this and that. Well, then that that's a different motive. But for these people who, who really think they're libertarians and are in the libertarian party and are fighting back against growth in the libertarian party, uh, they're doing it for personal reasons, man. That's all it is. It's they're they're afraid of losing you know, what, what they see as this, uh, this pedestal, you know, this, this, uh, yeah. this soapbox where they get, everybody has to listen to them because, you know, in the Republican party, <laughs> you know, members of the Republican party, they don't know each other like we do in the libertarian party. I mean, there's, there's 20,000 members of the libertarian party. You can almost name half of them from, from <laughs> Twitter and Facebook. You can't do that in the Republican party because they're just too damn big. And so my goal is to make this pond so big that, that my voice isn't big anymore. You know what I mean? Sure. And, and so, um, I'm not, I'm not, you know, I've obviously had a lot of adversity, but, but that's gotta be the reason, you know, and I'm going to continue to fight to grow it because I think that the libertarian party can be a useful tool uh, to, to push back on the two old parties if we do it right. But we got to shut some of these people up first. Um, yes. We got to make, we got to make the pond a lot, sm- a lot bigger uh, so that they're, you know, yelling into a void basically. And so um, that's, that's, you know, one of my goals. And I, you know, I've, I've kind of traversed this thing uh, in different ways over the last four years you know i, I kind of started I, I started off with the whole like let's get rid of the socialists they need to go and this and that and then i kind of found that that was kind of hurting me to to try and wedge my way into the the, the positions that i'm in now um so i kind of tried to find a more diplomatic avenue and that didn't really work and then i found out that even if you're diplomatic these people will still stab you in the back so now i'm kind of back to the point where it's like look we don't need you <laughs> you know right if you if you're going to constantly try and fight um, with, with other libertarians in this party and keep us from growing and keep us from winning elections and keep us from fundraising and keeping us from doing all this thing, then get the hell out, man. Just go. We don't well, need you. We don't want you. Well, well, see what disturbs me about it is like, if you're, if you're concerned about people coming into this party that can take it to the next level, you shouldn't be involved at all. You know, like, I don't understand why, if your goal, like the only reason I'm interested in the libertarian movement or in the party at all is because I'm interested in freedom. You know, like, like if you're in it for your little soapbox and your little niche of power, you have no, you have no purpose to me. You have no purpose to the movement. You're self-serving. Like that's so counter to, um, you know, what we're actually trying to accomplish here. So that's just super upsetting. But I, as, as to your point about growing the party, I, I am of the belief that, it is going to require a consolidation prior to a growth. You know, like you're going to have to have some of these people that are so antagonistic towards um, any of the, you know, any of the voices that actually have gravity. You know, you have so much hatred towards Tom Woods, Dave Smith, Eric July, um, a bunch of people that that are actually growing the movement. Well, what's that? Yeah, you. Yeah, Yeah. me. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, exactly. And, and, And it's just, it's just so demoralizing to see these people that are, are so dead set on maintaining their little, their little fiefdom. It's like, it's like, get a life, man. I just don't, I just don't understand it. It, it seems as if they've made a career out of this when it should be, um, you know, that's not the goal. The goal right. is to, to basically get politics out of our life to some extent. So. Right. Well, that's what, and that's what I always tell people, you know, well, you, you hate politics and you hate politicians and, and, and I'm an anarchist and, and, uh, and, you know, you shouldn't be 
you're legitimizing the system by working with the Libertarian Party. And I try, I try to explain to people like Libertarian candidates. I know a lot of Libertarian. I mean, I know I probably a thousand Libertarian candidates that I've met personally, you know, mm-hmm. they're not running to, to gain power. I mean, that's just not what real Libertarian candidates do. They're, they're running to get themselves into positions to relinquish that power, right? To kind of, you know, okay, we're not going to, we're done. We're done finding people for going on vacation and letting their grass get a little too long. Right. That, that kind of stuff. And so, um, yeah, you know, I, I get it. And, and um, so I think Glenn, Glenn uh, Jacobs is such a perfect example of, that. Oh yeah, absolutely. But, but going back to your point, uh, you know, I, I agree, like there, there could be some form of consolidation there, but um, somebody just asked me this the other day, you know, well, there's people who have stated, you know, if you were to win chair, they'd leave the party. And I was like, yeah, I can name 30 of them and good, <laughs> good. <laughs> You know what I mean? If that's, if that's what it takes to, to have them go vote for me, because I'm, I'm the guy that is going to grow this party. So if 30 people fall off or 35 people fall off that are super vocal, like against anybody who's trying to grow this party, let them go. Mm-hmm. Who cares? You know, there's, there's a, there's another 20,000 uh, anti-staters out there that are looking for a political home that are looking for a party that's willing to push back on these tyrannical uh, two party systems. So good. Let them go. Let them go back to, I don't know, playing, World of Warcraft or whatever the hell it is they were doing before they got decided to join politics and then sat there and snuff their own party members all day, you know, let them go. I, I agree. And that, that actually leads me perfectly into the next topic is, um, you know, I've, I've talked to Aaron from uh, the, well, formerly Friends Against Government, now Timeline Earth. And, and he's a huge fan uh, of the, the radical, you know, ideology that's necessary to in his belief to, to gain success, which is uh, essentially diminishing state power. Um, I, I tend to, I tend to believe that's the way as well. And, and I think that your point about, about Sarwak and how he basically relegated any radicals within the libertarian movement to the sideline. Um, is that, is that part of your plan as running for chair is to kind of give a home to the radicals once again? Oh yeah. No, and and I've, I said this on the last podcast I was on and I, I've been saying it for years. My biggest goal with this party is to merge the libertarian party with the libertarian movement. You <laughs> there know what you I go. Mean? And, and, and I, when I was on Tom's show uh, last year or something, he, me and him had a big talk about this. If the party libertarian, if the libertarian party is going to use the name libertarian, it needs to be libertarian. We, that is the, when, when people that are normies that are not libertarian or not anarcho-capitalists or, or they've never heard of the Mises Institute or, or the Cato Institute or, or the Beltway or any of this stuff, when they hear libertarian, they immediately think about the party. And if the party's not going to exude the principles of libertarianism, then it shouldn't exist. You know, that's the one time I'm going to agree with Teddy from Twitter. It shouldn't exist if it's not going to exude these principles. And so, yeah, it, you know, and I've talked about this since my last run, I started putting together these focused messaging goals. Well, what are things that the Libertarian Party should should be messaging? What are the goals that we should um, put together that we should always stay on script with? Like this anti-war sentiment, it should be the one thing that we are always, always at the forefront of the, the anti-war movement because we're the only party in this country that doesn't want war. You know, the only major political party in this country that, that wants to see an end to all wars. Uh, you know, we want to end the drug war. I mean, that's something that we actually fight for. Not like the Democrats who say out of one side of their mouth that they want to end the drug war and then get elected and ramp the drug war up. We're the one party that would get our people in and stop the drug war. We're also the one party that would audit the Fed or abolish the Federal Reserve. You know, we're the sure. we're the one party. You know, you've had some some politicians here and there and the other parties that say those things and, and would actually do them, like Papa Ron Paul. You know, like 
like Rand, uh, like like Tulsi Gabbard even hates the hates wars and hates the Fed. You know, that's why libertarians kind of like her on some issues. Yep. But um, you know, we have to have those focused, radical, uh, uncompromising, unapologetic libertarian messaging goals. And and you know, we have a chair now who's not doing that. We had a chair for the last uh, you know, four years prior or six years prior to that that wasn't doing that. So we need a chair that's going to do those things. And, and I think that that's where it starts. You know, that's the chair has the opportunity to craft messaging, to send out emails, to, to write op-eds, to do things from the chair's position that the rest of the board doesn't have the opportunity to do, that the rest of the party membership doesn't really have the, the opportunity to do. And then on top of that, the most important thing is the chair oversees all social media for the national party. Oh, wow. Yeah. So, so um, all the, the, the social media faux pas that you've seen over the last six to eight years that's all been the chair, you know, Nick, Nick crafted a lot of the messages that people just hated. Uh, you know, <laughs> that does and, not surprise me at all. <laughs> no, not at all. And he, he'd go around and say, well, do you have any proof of that? Yeah, I have proof of that. I'm in, I'm in the admin group, man. I've seen <laughs> you literally post your, I literally saw you post your message and, and tell everyone that it's getting put up no matter what they think, because the chair is the only one who, you know, we have a committee that's like a, a review committee for, for um, our publications, anything that we publicize. There's a review committee and the chair is the only person in the entire party that can circumvent that committee, the APRC. Right. Jesus. And so I saw him do it. I watched him do it in these, these Facebook groups, you know, and, I, and so it's really important that we have a chair that's going to, that knows how to use social media to their, to the advantage of the party and, and not piss off, uh, you know, 90% of the libertarians <laughs> around the country. Of course. Uh, I mean, yeah, I, yeah that, that was my entire thing over the, you know, the first six months of lockdown, I'm sitting there following you know, a thousand, fifteen hundred people that are just, you know, your average libertarian or ANCAP that are messaging far better than the any of the, you know, formal LP um, accounts were. And it was just so frustrating because you have you have these unbelievable scumbags like like Kamala Harris and Joe Biden basically standing on the shoulders of Black Lives Matter. And I'm sitting here like, wait, 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 wait. We've we've been on the front lines of actually addressing these issues for decades, and we're gonna we're gonna ride the coattails of Black Lives Matter. Like we, there's so many people. Like I, I really feel like it's like the bigotry of low expectations, where sure, you yeah. don't you don't think that the like the Black Lives Matter movement is thinking for themselves, or that there's enough people in there that would actually you know analyze people's history and decide whether or not they actually believe them like what an opportunity to to really differentiate yourself and and it's so funny to me because like their whole messaging system was about differentiating themselves and it was about like hey we are allies to the black community in this fight and i'm like this is not how you do it they're going to identify immediately that you're pandering if they're dumb enough to to see or to not notice that you're pandering, then they're going to vote for Biden and Harris because they're that dumb. You know, like you should be reaching out to the people that are are pissed off, but also smart enough to realize that they're not going to vote for the people that wrote the bills or enforce them. Like, wow, what what a just. <laughs> well, that's know. what I I just I just made a post about that on Twitter like two days ago where I I mean I, I said it I said it like it is. Democrats care about black votes, not black lives. You know what I mean? Yep. They just don't. They don't care about black lives. They care. They care about black votes. And so true. And Malcolm X talked about this, you know, during his his tenure. You know, they they use the black community and then they discard them after the election. And that's exactly what happened. You know, uh, the the leaders of Black Lives Matter actually um, reached out to to Joe Biden and Kamala Harris after they've been elected 
it's now been 40 days and they haven't even <laughs> responded to him. They, they got together with all these other civil rights leaders and totally left Black Lives Matter out of the, out of the, the conversation. And so it's like, it's like, you know, when someone shows you who they are for 40 years, believe them, you know, that Joe Biden and, and Kamala Harris have been showing everybody who they are for, for years. Joe Biden for 40, more than 40 years. We know who Joe Biden is. We know that Joe Biden, uh, you know, crafted the legislation that locked disproportionately locked up black people in America, took took uh, uh, fathers out of homes and left left fatherless children's or fatherless children. Kamala Harris, I mean, lied, lied and hid evidence to keep black men on death row that were could have been exonerated. Just I mean, truly unforgivable. I just it's d- disgusting, vile uh, politics and and. They've been showing us who they are for this long, and, and we're going to just all of a sudden think that's not who they are anymore. <laughs> they apologized. Yeah, right. That's not how it works. It's, it's you know, politics is driven by special interest money, and there's a there's a reason they were getting paid to do that kind of stuff. You know, and, I mean? and, and I think it's so insulting to the black community to, to you know, not inform them of that, to pretend as if, like, they're, they're actually going along with this. I mean, Malcolm X's quote that you were referencing says, the white liberal is the worst enemy to America and the worst enemy to the black man. Yeah, I mean, he, that's... He goes exactly. on into great detail. And honestly, like when I was growing up, I, I didn't I didn't really see eye to eye with Malcolm X and and more and more I do. Um, and I guess that's kind of a, a, a product of my path towards radicalism. But man, did he nail it? I mean, the the liberals in this country, um, they just simply don't care. And, that, and I think that's the thing that that I, I that's probably why virtue signaling rubs those of us that that really do care the wrong way so much. And the, the Mises caucus folks, it's like, we actually want to fix these things. Like I'm sick of, of signaling, you know, I want to end the war on drugs. I'm not, I'm not about like, you know, applauding Trump for a few clemencies here and there. Like you're not under, you're not dealing with the underlying sickness. And, and, and now, you know, black lives matter has been given an, an option which perpetuates the sickness. And it's just, it's just so depressing. How do you, how do you stay optimistic through all this? Oh man, I don't know. I, you know, I, I have this, I have this, this goal in my mind, you know, that, that we'll see a more free society, uh, you know, sometime in my lifetime and, and it's just going to take the right moves at the right times. And so I, you know, I kind of try to keep this, like, it may be false. It may not be, but this like light at the end of the tunnel, like that we're going to get there. We're going to get there. We're going to change minds. People are now getting to a point where they, they have to understand what's going on politically in this country. I mean, I mean, Black Lives Matter people are going to see that Kamala Harris and Joe Biden don't care about them at all. And they're going to start looking to a different, in a different direction. I mean, it's going to happen, you know, and, and, and we see this shift every, every presidential term, right? Like, you know, when, when George Bush was in office, the punk bands hated him and, you know, this and that and this and that. And then when Obama got into office, there was a lot of punk bands that were like, oh, well, this guy's still fighting wars. And, you know, it, it, everyone kind of shifts depending on what party's in power. Right. Um, but I think now, I, and, and I think Trump had a lot to do with this too. You know, I think, I think that they're kind of see, starting to see that the parties, uh, it doesn't really matter which party it is, you know, but, but it's, it, I mean, it is just me trying to stay optimistic. I, I know there's always going to be a lot of idiots in this country. It's just how it's going to be. We have to deal with it and sure. um, adjust. Well, uh, I, I don't know if this is uh, uh, too personal to you, but I, I'd like to ask if you're willing to answer, um, are, are you religious in any form or fashion? Uh, I, somewhat. Yeah. I mean, I grew up religious. Um, I, I kind of fell away from religion for quite some time and then, 
um, over the last couple of years, I kind of, kind of been refining my faith, which has been really nice. It's nice. You know, I feel like, I feel like everyone has with all this madness yeah. in the world. Uh, but the, the reason I bring it up is because Vin Armani has been going, are you familiar with Vin Armani? Yes. Yeah. He's been, he's been going on, um, a rampage about, uh, the LP's lack of religion as being a, a large reason that we fail. And, and at first glance, I didn't agree. Um, but upon further reflection, and, and I probably didn't agree because I'm not very religious. I, I would say I'm agnostic. Um, but uh, I think that he makes a really compelling argument. You know, he says that that our our founders' language, the the fact that we were endowed by our creators, essentially the entire concept of libertarianism is is almost a religious faith in its own right. And and if you're going to try and have an atheist libertarian party, it almost doesn't have a chance of success. Do you do you buy into that in any way? Uh, somewhat, some, some not. So I think, I think one of the hard problem, one of the hardest things in the libertarian party, as far as religion goes, is there's so many assholes in the libertarian party <laughs> that, um, when they find out you're religious, they're just giant dicks to you. And I think that's, that's a big problem. I, you know, um, I don't, I don't, that's, you know, that's bizarre people, too. I mean, we should at yeah. least be tolerant towards religious. Yeah, people. We should be the most tolerant party towards religions in our, as long as they're not, you know, as long as they're not trying to legislate their religion, exactly. Um, yeah. You know, I think we should be the most tolerant party in religions. We, absolutely, we're definitely. I mean, we're already more tolerant than a lot of the Democrats are. I mean, let's be honest. Even even the assholes in the party are more tolerant than the Democrats. Um, True. And you, and then you got the Republicans who do want to. Re- legislate religion from from the bench you know um, yeah and i'm i'm certainly not i mean i don't want the government to basically legislate anything so so don't yeah. get me wrong i'm not going no that, i no, that i get direction. it yeah but there there are you know there's there's a and and i don't know if you know much about the history of the libertarian party and the dallas court and how the dallas court kind of brought this um divide between minarchists and anarchists uh to to the to stop and said that they have to work together as a party um you know and i, and I would consider myself an anarchist uh, mm-hmm. but but i um yeah, it's, there's just a lot of assholes in the party that are really mean to people who, who say they're religious or that they believe in God. And I think that that's, I think that's the, the, not a good, it's not a good avenue to take as a party member in a, in a party that has less than 20,000 national members, you know? Um, yeah, oh, I so, mean, especially with, with the amount of Christians that have been, you know, kicked out of their churches by the government, it seems like a real opportunity. Oh, um, yeah. But but Vin's, Vin's point wasn't so much that as it was that, that you know, particularly with the lockdowns, we've been trying to argue, and I've seen uh, a ton of people, including myself uh, early on, we're, we're trying to argue with facts and logic and, and charts as to you know, the inefficacy of, of, uh, of mask mandates, of social distancing, of whatever. You know, we were trying to out-argue our opponents, but, but I think it's been pretty obvious that it isn't about facts anymore. Like, and I think that Vin is really smart on this topic is that, that this is essentially magic. It's like, it's like cult like behavior. They aren't interested in the facts. They aren't interested in the truth. They're interested in feeling good and feeling a purpose. And, and I think that that really is a cultural issue where like so many people in society don't seem to feel like they have a purpose. And, and in a weird way, the lockdowns gave them, a purpose, you know, it gave them a reason to set like self-sacrifice on the behalf of something larger than themselves. And I don't know how we, we win that fight with facts and logic. Like you have to make a more compelling emotional argument and I'm not sure what it is, but, and I'm not sure that your, you know, position in the LP should take us there. I'm just, just throwing it out there for, you know, 
thought and discussion. Sure. Yeah. I mean, I, I would agree fully on the, the, the first part there, you know, um, it has become this emotional argument. And let's be honest, the, the left and the Democrats have been arguing for emotion for decades. Anyways, we right. already know that that's how they roll. They, they want that virtuous feeling, even if they're not actually doing anything. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and, and, and libertarians are, you know, libertarianism is a very logical, like fact, fact-based uh, ideology. I mean, it just is. We know that the, you know, the most logical solution to, to anything, the most peaceful solution to anything is, you know, not, not, not forcing others to do things that we think they need to do. Right. And so um, I, I, it's understandable why libertarians would start arguing with facts and logic, because that's just what we do. Um, And and there's no shortage of arguments in libertarian (laughs) circles to to begin with, but, but no, I I, actually have the facts on our side, but it just simply doesn't matter. Yeah. It doesn't matter. The the facts don't matter to them at all. We've known that for a long time. And, and I agree, you know, we do need a a much bigger emotional argument with these people. I just don't know that we're ever going to find it. And, and you're right. They, they, they're always looking to be a part of something. And this is a, on such a huge scale. It's worldwide. You know, now they're, they're doing their part on behalf of the entire world. It's like that, you know, that, that, uh, what was that song? The song from the eighties where all the, the rock stars got together. Oh, where they all held hands and yeah, yeah. You know, it's like, that's <laughs> what's going on in our entire world right now. And the government loves it. I mean, they love it. They're like, yes, these people are going to obey <laughs> us because they, you know, they want to feel like they're a part of something, but, but yeah, I think libertarians, you know, at some point, at some point, you know, if, if, if politics doesn't work, libertarians are all going to put Hawaiian shirts on and go to town. I mean, that's just how it's going to be. So, yeah. Um, but well, yeah, that, I, that's, that kind of leads me to my next question. Uh, how close to that are we, in your opinion? I mean, oh, is, man. and how, and how do we avoid it? I, I know that obviously civil disobedience is, is vitally important at this junction, but I just don't know that we have the numbers. And, and if we don't have the numbers, like uh, my, actually my lead into this episode, which I recorded yesterday was me talking about that exactly is like, if we don't get enough civil disobedience now, I think that it, it results in violence guaranteed later. So like, like I'm trying to compel people and, and really um, make an emotional argument that like, if you want, like, I know very few people in libertarian party actually want war. Like we're a very peaceful people, but, but moreover, we want freedom. So like, it's, you got to choose, like you can be peaceful now and, and shut up, but it's basically because you want peace, but you're going to, you're going to ensure yourself violence later or, or servitude. So like, I don't know, it's just such a tough, tough wager, tough, tough way to balance everything. It's the razor's edge, man, for sure. It's, it's hard to, it's hard to think about because, you know, I think, I think if the, the, the country keeps going the way it's going, that we will undoubtedly see mass violence in our lifetimes. I mean, it's just, there's yeah. no, I, I, I won't sugarcoat that. I believe that that's something that's going to happen if the country keeps going the way it's going now. Um, and, and, you know, libertarians are peaceful people, but they're peaceful people with basements full of guns, you know? <laughs> so exactly. Uh, that, that's you know, why we're peaceful. <laughs> yeah, that's. I mean, that's the reason why we're peaceful. It's one of the reasons why we believe everyone should have guns. Um, but yeah, I, you know, I think I think we'll see violence on a mass scale in our lifetimes if if we keep going the direction we are. I mean, we we are the most divided we've ever been as a country. There's just no doubt about that. Um, people are now ready to fight and kill each other over words, you know, um, over views, over ideology. Um, and, and, you know, at some, at some point that boils over, you know, you get to your tipping point and it boils over. And so, yeah, I mean, I don't know how close we are. I I think, I think we're already seeing a lot of 
a lot yeah, of I mean, violence in the streets. Yeah, it's already it's already bubbling. Yeah, I mean, we're already seeing it. We're already seeing violence in the streets. We're already seeing it, especially in these big cities. You know, um, I mean, we we saw violence here in Des Moines, Iowa. You know, <laughs> it's like Jesus. we're in the middle of the country, and over the summertime there was riots here and people breaking cars and smashing windows and and I mean, it's 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 boiling over. And you know, the people who are in their houses, comfy, cozy, saying, uh, you know, we're getting really tired of this. Those people are going to get fed up at some point too and they're going to push back and it's just going to turn ugly how long yeah. that's going to take i i don't have a timeline but I, I mean we're already seeing it we are definitely. do you think the best way to to prevent that inevitability is is civil disobedience in this moment i mean yeah i i've always been a fan of civil di- disobedience for sure um you know and, and i think i think libertarians especially need to be leading the charge as far as telling governments we won't we're not just going to comply with their uh their, their royal decrees anymore. You know yeah. what I mean? And, and we shouldn't, we shouldn't be, we should be, you know, I made a funny post on Twitter last night, but maybe, maybe all it takes for you is don't follow the stupid arrows on your grocery store floor. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. um, but, but there's, it's just so, it's so overbearing right now. I think a lot of people don't really know what to do, but just go, I mean, it, when you go outside and hang out with your friends and that becomes civil disobedience, do it. You know what I mean? Because, exactly. because that's just another right that's being taken from you. And, and so we have to kind of push back any way we can, you know, I'm going to work politically, but I'm also going to, you know, I'm also going to go outside. I also, I stopped wearing a mask. I realized that every time I wore a mask, I woke up, I woke up sick the next morning, you yep. know, so I don't, I don't wear them anymore. I love um, it. Yeah. You know, it's, it's, there's, there's things we can do and we need to start doing them on a bigger scale. So if everyone just starts doing them, what are they going to do? Are they going to arrest us all? Huh? They're going to have fun in the camps, you know? Right. <laughs> We can do live podcasts from, uh, exactly. from Gitmo. Just imagine the the ideological arguments we get to get in when there's fifteen thousand of us inside of a you know a pen somewhere. So we'll we'll still have people in the camps that are arguing that it's still not time for for violence. Yeah, swear, yeah. Oh, swear, and there yeah. will and there will be. Yeah, absolutely. You know. Um, but yeah, it might it might be it might be closer than some of us think. Yeah. Well, I, the funny thing is the the bar for civil disobedience has never been lower. They've made it you know, essentially illegal for you to leave your house to not wear a mask. Like it doesn't take much folks. Just go out there and do, do your part. Just do a little bit to push the envelope back towards freedom. That's all I'm asking. I'm not asking for you to, you know, go out there and actually commit violence. I'm just asking you to live. And even that is too much of an ask. And, and what I wanted to talk about briefly was the, the, the biggest shift I've seen in my lifetime. I don't know how old you are. I'm 38, but. Um, oh, are you? Okay. I'm 30. I'll be 38 in March. Yeah. Yeah, so we're we'll probably have a similar worldview, but when I when I was growing up, what I what I loved about America was that even though we had very meaningful differences politically, there was still a a sense of unity when it came to freedom. Like like even the even the left was like, yeah, we're we're free people, of course we are. And like we don't trust the government. The biggest shift I've seen over the past it's really only been like 15 years, maybe 10 has been the, uh, and, and obviously hyperbolic, you know, or parabolic increase over the Trump presidency, but it's the trust in institutions. Like they, they, the left went from not trusting the FBI, the CIA, the, the government to trusting all of them explicitly and being willing to fight on their behalf. How in God's name did that happen? And how the hell do we change it back? Yeah, I don't know, man. That's, you know, I got out of the military in 2005, sometime around then, you know, and I served in Operation Iraqi Freedom. And that was kind of what shifted my beliefs as a, as a, into libertarianism and then finding Ron Paul in 2008, of course. But nice. um, 
uh, it was funny because I've, I've always played in punk and metal bands. And, you know, back then when I was in the Navy and, and prior to that, all the all the lefty punk people that I hung out with and played in bands with and stuff were like, you know, anti-establishment and hated the government, thought all the alphabet agencies were terrible. And then, yeah, definitely over the last, I don't know, probably five or six years, it's really, they've, they've flopped to where it's like, yes, trust the government, trust all the government scientists. The alphabet agencies are great. And it's like, do you know who these people are? Do you realize who you used, you used to hate these same people and now you want me to go and trust them? No, thanks. You know, yeah. if it weren't uh, for the FBI, then, then Trump would, would, you know, be our dictator. It's, it's really amazing how, how well they sold that, you know, that, that the only thing standing in the way of tyranny was the deep state. Like, right. Well, and, and, well, yeah. And, and, Let's let's talk about the FBI and dictators, right? Uh, yeah, sure. You, you know, we've we they've helped install puppet dictators all <laughs> over the whole entire world. But yeah, they're that's, the only reason that Trump hasn't become a dictator. That's literally uh, their profession. <laughs> yeah, that's that's like literally what they do. Circa Iran in nineteen seventies, right? I mean, well, well, yeah, circa America twenty twenty in my yeah, opinion. Yeah, that too. Yeah, you that put too. you put in Joe Biden and Kamala Harris. I, I don't. Yeah. I personally am of of the belief. I mean, whether or not the election was stolen, I don't really care. It, it's it's more about the obvious. Um, you know, deep state coup when it came to information suppression, misinformation, everything else. It was like, if they stole the election, you know, actually at the ballot box is kind of irrelevant. Like they, they did everything under the sun to manipulate the election leading up to it. So it's like, I, it's just so weird to me. Do you, do you think we have any hope of the left actually like re-embracing their anti-establishment roots or, or are they I don't know, dead man. forever? They're, they're so, they're, the left has become so plugged into the cathedral that it's like, I don't know, man. They just believe everything they're told now. And it's, it's so, it's so amazing to me because like I said, they used to be so anti-establishment and now I, know, I just, loved them. Rage against yeah, the machine. Come on. Yeah. yeah, Rage. <laughs> and I mean, all these great punk bands, even bands like anti-flag now that are writing straight up, like trust the government. <laughs> this, is, this is your band's called anti-flag, man. <laughs> You know now, now, now on the cover they're like uh, pledging allegiance yeah, yeah it's like <laughs> what happened to you guys you know and and so uh i don't know man the cathedral's real strong and, and i think you know libertarians and some conservatives are really the only people that even understand the cathedral at all and understand what's going on and understand that you know all these people are working together to uh, mass disinform people i mean basically that's what it is they're being mass disinformed and the left was uh, I guess so weak that they just decided they were going to fall for it and they were no That's... longer going to be this anti-establishment uh, uh, position. And they were going to say the establishment is the only people that can save our lives. And right. it's like, they've yep. never saved lives. The government's never saved lives. That's never been their job. <laughs> no. Literally, and, they... and, and, and moreover, they could care less if they do or don't. It's like, it's just so childlike to believe that they actually care about us. It... Oh yeah. All these people worshiping the state, like literally suckling at the teeth of the state <laughs> all day long. They, if they died tomorrow, the state would not care no. at all. At no. all. They don't I mean, care about you. They like the tax revenue, but besides that, they don't care about your existence one iota. And I, I don't know how people got convinced otherwise. Well, that's that's my black pill, black pill take. My white pill take is that, that the right wing has been awoken. Like they have been shown, you know, by the deep state coup against their orange Jesus that that you know, the political system doesn't work for them. Democracy doesn't work. And, and overall, the government doesn't work, including the FBI, the CIA. And now, to some extent, even the police, they're starting to have distrust. So it's like the entire the entire shift of, you know, what was good about the left is now kind of applying to the right. So I take some hope from that. What's your opinion as to the future with the conservative movement? I'll, and, I'll, I'll, I'll have more faith in that once we get another Republican 
uh, president. <laughs> you know what I mean? Oh, oh like you think they're going to be quiet during the next four years? Yeah, I mean that's you know that's that's been the cycle we've been on the majority of my life, right? From yeah. Reagan to 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 Bush to Clinton to Bush to to Obama to Trump. It's like each side is totally quiet when theirs is in power, right? True. So so like all these wars that we've been experiencing since at least you know the last the first war I can remember as an adult or as a human was 1989, right? The Desert Storm, the initial yeah. Iraq War. You I, know, I was in like second grader, I remember the, the news uh, being put on to talk. Yeah, about. I remember seeing bombs dropping on the TV and stuff. And then, you know, fast forward to 2001 and I'm joining the military to go fight what I thought was Saudi nationals who, via Pakistan that had attacked on our soil. But I was in Iraq all of a sudden. I'm going, what the <laughs> fuck am I doing in Iraq? Why are we in Iraq? Um, but it's like, it just really depends because when, you know, that's, that's why I hate this tribalistic, like chess beating team sport era of politics, because the Republicans don't question their their Jesus, right? And the Democrats don't don't question their political Jesus. And it's like, you know, as soon as their their political Jesus is not in power anymore, they question everything. Mm -hmm. But it's like, how do we get them to, to to continue that even when their own people are in power, right? And right. So, well, my my hope is that the the right because they've been awoken to the fact that like they've kind of been red pilled to some extent. I mean, not fully, obviously, because they're still. <laughs> they're still yeah. Trump supporters, so they're not fully red pilled. But yeah, um, the fact that they've been able to identify how unbelievably corrupt the media is and the FBI, the deep state as a whole, um, I, and and the fact that Trump, in some ways, ushered in a an anti war um, sentiment, at least sure. within the right wing, it gives me hope that under a Biden or slash soon to be Harris presidency, uh, they will be meaningfully protesting and meaningfully putting up a fight i don't i don't know that that's the case but i think this january 6th uh thing is gonna gonna tell us a lot about where this heads yeah, over the next we'll four years see, yeah we'll definitely see where it's gonna go man you know i i think more power to him man i i would i i really hope that that's the case um yeah. but we you know we know the left is going to be completely quiet now for the next four oh, years period yeah, they're gonna totally be mute silent there won't be a single <laughs> word about you know uh corrupt money or or uh, uh, war media, crimes. or war crimes, or any <laughs> of it. They will be. They will be. They're too exhausted from uh, breaking down Starbucks and, and trash cans, <laughs> right? But so, I mean, my my hope is that that you know the 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 right in this country will will continue to hold on to the fact that you know the cathedral is corrupt. They don't care about you. Uh, even even the people that you supported in the past don't care about you. They don't care about your livelihood. They don't care about, you know, your family. And we kind of take this like, you know, balkanization <laughs> direction where it's like, okay, maybe we got to start, you know, splitting things up here and there, but I don't know. We'll see what happens. You just really just don't really know, you know, Do, would you, would you ever consider putting um, secession as, as a, a platform option for the LP? I mean, I, I wouldn't be against it, you know, and I, I, I constantly drop the hashtag balkanization now. Yeah. Uh, you I, know, I think, I think that there's people in this country that just can't live together. Um, and I think, I think gonna, that this 2020 has made that so fucking clear. It's unbelievable. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and, and, and as being someone from California, like, like yourself, now I live in Iowa, obviously in, a, in, in the frozen tundra, but um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, in California, California needs to be split up, oh, <laughs> you know, definitely. I'm from the, I'm from the Bay area. Uh, you know, but I, but I, I lived in Oregon for a long time and I drive up through Northern California and El Paso, Shasta and all, all that stuff. And there's people up there that are just completely embarrassed of their own state, just completely embarrassed. <laughs> and it's like, 
you know, you know, and it's a beautiful place. And of course you don't want to leave it, but at the same time, it's like the taxes, the tyranny, the, the oh, yeah. all around ridiculousness of some of the people that live in the Bay area. And sort of California. <laughs> it's wild, it's like, man. It's like, why, why shouldn't they be allowed to have their own little mini state or, you know, whatever it is, you know, like the, like the free state of Jackson or whatever. Um, yeah. The Je- Jefferson, I think they call it. Yeah. Free state of Jefferson. That's sorry. But, uh, <laughs> okay. Yeah, it's I, like, God, I wish that would happen. If I could stay in California and actually have freedom, that would be a dream come true. But at, at yeah. this point I'm actually, I'm building six houses in a fucking pandemic, which is horrifying. Yeah. Um, lots if, of fun. Yeah. If I, <laughs> if I get out in time, I will, uh, I will be fleeing this this cesspit uh yeah. but it I, it sucks man I, i'm i'm born and raised here it's it's like Same. it's my favorite place on earth but it's arguably the worst government not on earth but in in america so it's just like you got you got to move you got to yep. got to move with your feet and and i feel like if i'm going to be pushing for secession movements i'm going to have to practice what i preach and, and sacrifice a little bit and get out of here so yeah and that's see. such you know that's such a naughty word man secession oh know? i know i know it's like everyone, as soon as you say secession, everyone's like, oh, slavery, I got you, you're racist, you know? <laughs> and I'm like, for, for the record, as long as you like freedom, you're welcome in my little puddle. Yeah, yeah, I, I, you know, I grew up, I grew up 20 minutes away from Oakland, California, man. Let me tell you how, how not racist I am and mm-hmm. how, how it would have gotten me murdered very young. Um, <laughs> you wouldn't be here had you been racist. No, I definitely <laughs> wouldn't be here anymore if I was racist. Trust me, I, I've been invited to the barbecue for a long time, but the, um, you know, you say the word secession and people automatically, they're like, oh, you're, you know, slavery and, and rebels and, and, and the Confederacy. And it's like, nah, man, I just want to have like my own little town where we don't have politicians that like fine us for having an RV on the side of our house. Is that cool? Or, you know, what <laughs> I'd I mean? like to be able to leave. I'd like to be able to go to the beach sometimes. That's all I'm yeah, saying. Yeah. Right. Like I want to, I don't want to be locked in my house because there's a virus going around. And you know what I mean? It's just like, it's like uh, people, people they kind of they get these words that they just get trapped in and think well they i don't something. think that's an accident i think that's that's yeah. you know it it makes perfect sense that the cathedral if you want to call it that or if it was pre-cathedral era when it I'm was just... only calling it the cathedral from now on by the way. <laughs> okay well fair exclusively the cathedral I, well, and it really I, and pisses I, some people off in this party so oh well i i love it so please <laughs> please continue but uh my, my point was that the uh you know it just makes sense that why would the government want to teach us in public schools that that the secession movement had anything to do other than the most evil thing imaginable like they're going to paint it just in the most awful light so that no one ever considers it again but but when you have a tyrannical government this is this is what our country was founded on is that you know you have to be able and willing to overthrow your government if it gets to the point of tyranny and and we are so far beyond what we actually rebelled against in the you know late 1700s and and people are still like no, no, secession's crazy. I'm like, well, no, it's not at all crazy. I mean, it's completely crazy to keep doing what we're doing. And I just, I, my, my goal with my show has been to just kind of normalize the term and to shift the Overton window back towards that conversation because whether or not it's it happens or whether or not it's allowed to happen peacefully, because I'm sure it won't be peaceful if they if it were to happen. Um, I still think that we need to kind of do what the socialists have done, where they've made MMT and all these other insane ideas. Um, part of the Normal. common discourse. We have to right. do the same thing with our crazy ideas like secession. Yeah. Well, and I just, I made a post about this the other day too. I said, you know, 240 years ago, we were dumping politicians into the Harbor uh, <laughs> over, over taxing our tea. Right. And right. 200, 240 late, 240 years later, we're letting politicians tell us we got to wear face diapers and we're not allowed to leave our house unless they say so. Like what happened? man? <laughs> what are you, you're, you're the, the founders of this country, your ancestors are rolling over in your grave. You wusses. 
<laughs> it, it really, it, it really is heartbreaking. Um, uh, are you, are you friends or I, I assume that you're friendly with, uh, I think it's Angela McArdle. I am. Yeah. Yeah. I love, I love Angela, you know? And yeah, I think, I think you guys are both great. And, and honestly, either of you would be uh, a, a godsend. Is there, is there any, I, I don't know the structure of things, but say you end up with the chairmanship is, is there like, are you able to bring her in to assist or how does that work? Oh yeah, absolutely. Well, and that's the cool thing too, is like, so they do the chair election first, right? And then, and then you have the opportunity to drop and say, Hey, I want to run for vice chair or Hey, I want to run for Got secretary it. or at large or any of that stuff. So um, whatever happens on the board, I'd be more than, I'd be more than happy to work with Angela, whether she's the chair and I'm an at large or I'm a, I'm the chair and she's the vice chair or I'm the vice chair. And she, it doesn't matter to me. It'd be Man, really yeah. cool to work on the board with Angela. You will not find many glaring differences between uh, Angela and I. Um, no, I, I haven't. I've been following you guys both for a long time and yeah, you're, she, you're, you're my, my dream duo. <laughs> yeah, it'd be great. I love Angela to death. I, you know, I don't have, I will never have anything bad to say about Angela. And, and uh, if the Mises caucus decides that they're going to support her and I know that Dave, Dave uh, Smith has endorsed her. Um, I have no ill will towards them whatsoever. That's totally cool. I, but I'm going to run and I'm yeah, going to no, run all sure. the way up to, to convention because uh, you know, I put in the work, I've traveled to 40 States over the last four years uh, you know, I've shaken hands with, with, with libertarians all over this country. I've recruited like nobody else in the party except for Dave Smith and Tom Woods. Yep. Uh, you know, I, I put in that work. So I want to be the chair. I want, I want that position. I want that platform. I want the opportunity to, uh, you know, kind of drag this party kicking and screaming into a new decade, a new era, you know? Um, yeah. Well, and, I, and I think, I think that you'll do a, a great job at it. So I really, I really wish you success with it. Speaking of dream tickets, uh, who, who would be, your dream ticket for the LP in 2024. Oh, Tom, Tom Woods has got to be at the top of that for me. I mean, that's okay. uh, Tom is my, is my favorite uh, libertarian failed podcaster. Um, <laughs> I love Tom with all my heart. He's the, a darling of a human. Uh, he's the nicest guy I've ever met. He's so intelligent. And I would love to see him debate Joe Biden. Could you oh, imagine? Could Jesus you imagine Christ. the blood that would be spilled on stage? <laughs> it would be a violation um, of the net, bro. Yeah, absolutely. So I don't know. I, you know, there's going to be, there's, there's going to be a lot of candidates in 2024 and I'll be interested to see what happens. I mean, if I, if I'm still on the board in 2024, that will mean that I, I now had just finished my fourth term on the Libertarian National Committee. So wow. um, yeah, we'll see if, you know, if I, if I keep just getting into these at large positions, maybe it's better to give one up and let somebody else have it. But if I'm the chair, then I'd probably try and rerun again in 2024. Uh, but I mean, I know that Dave is talked thrown around about running. That's another person I would love to see debate Joe Biden on stage. Oh, Could you God. imagine the the blood? So oh, it'd be great. I'd love my, it. You know? My my dream ticket is Massey Smith. I, I would oh, love yeah. to see Thomas Massey because it seems like he's on his way out. Um, and and honestly, Tom has always talked as if he won't do it no matter what. So yeah. uh, I guess that those those two, Massey Smith or Smith Massey, would be amazing. Um, it would give us kind of the legitimacy of having a you know a, a sitting congressman, um, and then also the the popular appeal of you know someone who's already got a, a very passionate fan base and also can get on to major platforms like Joe Rogan, which is what matters at this point. It's like yeah, that's that's, exactly. that's what matters, and that's uh, in my opinion, that's the only reason that um, Gary Johnson did better than Jorgensen is because Jorgensen got radio silence, and it's like. Well, uh, how are you going to succeed if you can't get right. on any of these big platforms? So uh, Dave would get that immediately. So we'll, we'll see. Uh, I, I mean, any of those three would be a godsend. So, well, if Dave, if Dave decides to run for, for president, which is what I had heard, um, 
and and no one steps up for vice president. There may be a Smith Smith ticket in 2024. We'll see what happens. But uh, no, um, Wait, Scott who, who would be the other Smith? Joshua Smith. Oh, oh, you're gonna do it? <laughs> Maybe I don't know. We'll see. Oh, um, I love it. Yeah, if if there's nobody else who steps up for VP, that's that's a spot that I I've talked oh, a lot man. about doing in 2024. I love but, it. Um, Scott Horton. Breaking news. Where's Scott Horton at? <laughs> Scott Horton. Could you imagine Ooh. Dave Dave Smith and Scott Horton? <laughs> Or, or Michael Bolden, that'd be great too. Oh, you know, Tenth Amendment Center guy. He's amazing. He's funny. He's likable. He knows what he's talking about. I can't. Uh, I can't even handle all this. This is too much white pill, man. Some really good people there, man. I, and I and I'd love to see any any uh, you know degree of those combinations come come together in 2024. Dave and Tom and Scott and Michael Bolden and, and just great people, you know. Man. So. Well, if if you if you're serious, I, I would love to see you do it. I, I think that you know. Uh, just after following you and talking to you now, um, I, I think that you're really, you have your head around the actual issues that we're dealing with and, and could usher us into a, a brighter era. So let's hope um, uh, to kind of close this out. Well, what's your economic outlook? I mean, uh, obviously libertarians are of the Austrian school. Uh, I'm extraordinarily concerned about the trajectory of the economy. I think that the, uh, you know, the, the printing press burr action is, is not long for this earth, at least not without major economic ramifications. Do you think that, I mean, I, I'm not going to ask you to give me a prediction on when the collapse comes, but thanks. thanks. Yeah. Yeah. Cause, cause God, God only knows, but uh, what's, what's your plan to survive it? I guess would be a better question. Crypto. I mean, that's, okay. you know, I'm a big, I'm a big crypto guy. And in, in my first run in 2018, you know, uh, Bitcoin.com wrote a, an article about me and stuff about how I want to merge the, the crypto communities with the, the libertarian movement party too, because they're, you know, already, largely libertarian minded yeah, um, big they're, time. They're, they're trying to take a currency that circumvents the federal government ha, you know the 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 printing machine has no uh, bearing whatsoever on crypto and so you know my, one of my my biggest suggestions is you know start start investing in things that are going to be valuable because it is going to crash it's coming and more we get, we get closer to it every day uh, you know, sometimes I wake up in the morning and see that we're getting closer and I rub my hands together and get excited. But, um, you know, it, it's going to, there's going to be a lot of blood when that happens too. You know, a lot, oh my of, people, God. A lot of people are going to be hurt and it's going to, it's going to suck. I don't uh, think people have people. any idea how ugly it's going to be when, oh, it's the, gonna be when really the collapse ugly. actually comes. And you'll have no one to blame, but the people you voted for. And yeah. so, um, or, or the people I voted against. <laughs> yeah. Or the people, or the people you vote, but it, you know, it, I'm, I'm talking to normies here. Okay? Yeah, no, I know. I know. I know. Uh, the, the people that you voted for are, are, rapidly taking your plane into a direction that is going to end in fire. And so um, definitely start investing in things that you know will be valuable outside of fiat dollars, man. And, yep. and so the crypto, physical assets, folks. Yeah. Physical assets, the crypto, or electronic. <laughs> crypto community, uh, you know, precious metals, gold, yeah. silver, silver's really coming back. You know um, that's where your money's going to need to be, man. Cause, cause when that dollar doesn't count for nothing anymore, you're going to be wishing you had something else to pay for, uh, a loaf of bread. Trust me. Ask, yeah. ask Venezuela. You know, yeah, yeah. They'll let you know. Ask the USSR. Um, ask, there's many historical uh, examples to demonstrate what we're talking about. And yeah, and if and, you know, if you don't know, the Libertarian Party was made, was created, started partly, in fact, uh, due to the you know Bretton the, Woods. The, the, uh, the, well, the end of the gold, the gold-backed dollar. I mean, yeah. that was one of the things. You know, they they were they were fed up with that. And Murray Rothbard was one of the founders of the party, and some great people. You know, Dave Nolan. And, um, that was big, a big reason why they started the Libertarian Party because they saw they knew that that was going to eventually take us towards crashing, and that's where we're that's where we're at now. They yep. envisioned that stuff fifty years ago. So. 
Yeah, when you when you see the uh, the debt the debt clock go uh, parabolic, it's it's the end game. So, yep, uh, we absolutely. don't we, we don't have much time. Anyways, um, uh, thank you so much for your time. Uh, I got your Twitter as at Joshua at large, and I know you've got the uh, the think tank or the think liberty rather. Um, any other points? I'm actually not. Like to... I'm actually not a big part of Think Liberty anymore. Uh, I'm just friends with the people that run it now. I was one. Oh, of nice. The um, they're great people. Definitely follow them though. They're really cool. Um, you may not always agree with them. They have a, a large variety of contributors. So, um, but no, just, you know, Facebook gave me the perma ban. So I have, uh, Oh, you got nuked. What'd you do? Oh yeah. Back in October, man. I don't even know. I don't know. They never gave me a reason why it was, it was two weeks before the election and that was it. That was done. So. I've been, I've been off Facebook for years, so I didn't even know, but, <laughs> uh, so, so they didn't, they didn't even tell you why. Wow. Never even gave me a reason. Just said I broke community guidelines and that oh was it. God. They never gave me a reason why or anything. And then, uh, I even tried to make a new account and they zucked that immediately because of my IP address. So they really don't want me on that platform. Damn. Anymore. And you were huge on there, weren't you? Yeah, well, I, I mean, I had 5,000 friends on my personal, and then I had several thousand on some other pages that I ran, and, um, you know, so, not, so, not anywhere near as big as my Twitter, you know, my, my Twitter, I'm getting yeah, running about 12,000 12, now or something, yeah. I don't know, yeah. Um, so, but yeah, definitely follow me on Twitter. That I take shots at everybody there. All the time. <laughs> you're, you're a great follow, so definitely follow him, guys. It's at Joshua at large. Um, thank you so much, Josh. I, I really appreciate it. Yeah, I appreciate you having me on, man, anytime. Absolutely. I'll talk to you soon. If you enjoyed that episode, you know what to do. Leave a five-star review on iTunes, boo-boo. Uh, seriously, it does help grow the show. If you guys can leave a review on whatever platform you use, iTunes, Spotify, wherever they take reviews, leave one and make it good. You can write a whole bunch of nonsense. If you leave your social media handle in there, I will shout you out when I read your review. And you might get some follow-follows. Some fellow-follows. Catch you guys next week. Oh, uh... Tomorrow, I am having Latinos for Liberty on, and I cannot wait. It's going to be a blast. Tune in.